Amen. To Jesus we sing because we believe. If you're a visitor here, if you're joining us online, this is your first time or second or third, um, that just walks you through what we're about here. You know, doctrinally, what we what it is that we believe here in this local body, but as, as Christians, as Christ followers, this, these are things that uh, we wholeheartedly uh, uh, believe because we see that written in the pages of Scripture. So that gives you a good intro as to who we are here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. I'm the lead pastor here, Pastor Vaughn. And so it is good to be in the house of the Lord. And it's good to see God's people. I love to being, being able to be here in fellowship with each and every one of you. Um, definitely one of the highlights of my weekend. Hopefully it is for yours as well. Um, this past weekend, we delivered some presents to families within the community as part of the, the Angel Tree mission that we've been participating in the past few years. Um, this program um, is out there and designed for us to give gifts on behalf of incarcerated parents. Um, we know how things happen out in life. Some, some people make poor decisions. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the kids pay the price in many of these things. And so this is our way to kind of love on these families, love on the kids, and be able to put some, some presents under the tree um, so that they can know that we are thinking about them, praying for them, um, and that we're here for them despite the situation that they're in. So thank you for all those who uh, picked an angel and bought gifts, wrapped gifts, and delivered gifts and all that kind of stuff. Um, we had six families that we served this year, and so what a blessing it is to be able to do that. And I'm, I'm grateful for, for everyone um, who participated. This morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. Um, we're going to be in Acts 15, the, the latter part of the, the chapter 15 and, and going into the first part of 16. Uh, as we are uh, Christ followers, and we know a lot of things come at us in this life, um, we're not given the what to do as we become adults and, and how to live our lives and what job we're supposed to take and who we're supposed to hang out with and, and all those kind of things. And so as Christ followers, our, our, our guide is, is Christ. Our guide is the, the Holy Spirit and, and our, our guide is the Father. But, but how do we know when God is speaking to us? As we, we go and try to figure out, man, I got this decision to make. Uh, uh, am I supposed to apply for this job? Or, or are we supposed to move? Uh, what school should I try to attend? Uh, should I hang out with this group of people or, or that group of people? Should I participate in this organization or that? Hopefully, hopefully we're going to the Lord in prayer and asking him for guidance. Hopefully that's what we're doing instead of trying to figure it out on our own and then, well, I can't figure it out. I'll, I'll see if God can work it out. No, God should be our, our first place that we go to, the first person that we speak to and look to for guidance. And, and as we go to him in prayer, um, how, how do we know he's telling us what to do? I mean, is he going to drop something out of the sky and we open it up and say, yes, I'm supposed to move. Oh, yes, this, this, this sign comes out of nowhere. Vaughn, you are supposed to take this job. 
I don't, that's not happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to you. How do we know when God is speaking to us? And how do we know that, that we should follow that? that when we're looking for our soulmate, how do we know that this is the person that God has put into my life for me to marry? Let's look at this in Scripture. We'll see how um, these missionaries go through, apostles go through to discern the will of God as they go on their missionary journey. I think there's some lessons for us to learn as we read here. Look with me in your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 36. Here God's Word reads, And after some days, Paul and Barnabas let us... uh, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take uh, with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went, with, uh, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here we have Paul on his missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas, they're there. They're preaching the gospel. They're delivering. Remember last week we talked about this this council in Jerusalem. They had a a matter that they were trying to discuss, and uh, they're going to deliver this message and the letter from the Jerusalem council. Paul wanted to go back and visit the churches that they had started to plant, the the places they had already been. And he's like, hey, let's go check up on them, see how they're doing. As they were trying to decide who was going to go, just a little bit of drama. Yes, yeah, even in the Bible, there's drama. Can you believe this? Not just, not just in our own lives. I know we can factor our own drama, but here in the pages of even Scripture, we see drama forming. So you see, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them on the journey, but Paul wasn't having it. Like, John Mark? Hey, man, uh, so I, I don't know if you remember, but th- this guy, he, he deserted us. And we were supposed to be going and doing all this stuff, but, but John Mark, he wanted to go home. He wasn't in it to win it. He wasn't you know, invested like we were. I don't know we should be taking John Mark with us. He's just going to desert us again. If you remember back from chapter 13, John Mark had apparently had a, a hard time, and he had to leave the mission field and go home. Because let me tell you, ministry is hard. I don't know if you've really thought about this, but this is, this is hard when we take up trying to follow God and do what he's called us to do in ministry. It's not an easy thing for us to do, especially if you're a missionary in the mission field. John Mark was in the midst of the mission field. He was away from his family. He was away from his friends. And it sounds like this weighed on him quite a bit. And he just really had a hard time and he felt like he, he just needed to, to, to leave and, and, and have his soul minister to and be with his family. But <laughs> Paul held a grudge. Paul saw this, and he was a little bent out of shape about it, and he held a grudge. 
and he felt that Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia, and he just thought, hey, this is unacceptable. This guy, he just left us high and dry, and now he wants to come. Now, after we are already done the hard work of planting these churches, now he wants to come when we go to check on them and see how they're, no, he's not coming. Just so he can stay at home. Let me tell you this. All of us are uniquely gifted in a, in a particular way. 1 Corinthians 12 and 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I bring this up all the time. I love how we get this example of, of a body because you guys know how our bodies are. And sometimes it functions well, and sometimes it don't. You know what I'm saying? And so when we look at the church as a body, you can see it's, you know, some of us are the hands, some of us the foot. None, none of us is less than the other. And if you think your foot is, is less, let's, let's get rid of it and see how well you do after that. All of us have a, a unique role within the body of Christ. Your, your role is very important. It's vital for us to, to do what God has called us to do. In verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12, it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still more excellent ways. Here in this, this text, Paul is asking this question. These are rhetorical questions, saying, are all apostles? No. Are, are all teachers? No. Do all do miracles? No, and so on and so forth. Not all of us have the same gifting, but that doesn't make us less important. We all come together so those who are gifted in teaching can join and, and those who are, have a servant-minded ministry, right? We can all come together and for the, uh, the betterment of the whole body so that we can uh, continue to progress in the kingdom. We need to be careful when someone serves in a different way than you. You know, just because you are very passionate about this area of ministry, you can't look sideways at somebody else who has a different passion, a different drive, because they are just important as you. They uh, progress the kingdom in a different way, but a just as important way as you. Spoiler alert, Paul eventually reconciles with, Paul, with Mark. This is great. I'm glad that I'm glad this is here. So not only do we get to see this drama unfold, but we get to see how uh, to handle it as Christ followers. And later we see that Paul reconciles with Mark. He actually calls him a beloved co-worker later in various letters. But at this moment, <laughs> they just agree to disagree. And, and, and so the text says that there was a sharp disagreement. There was a lot of emotion built up about what, what was going on. And this is just bound to happen. And again, I love that it's included in this text because it's a reminder that these people aren't perfect. Uh, we we want to read in our, in our text and think they got it all together and there's no hope for us. Hey, this is there so that we can have hope. Because if God can use messed up people like this, then I mean, certainly he can use me. And I'm just as messed up, if not worse. Surely he can use somebody like you 
This is bound to happen, though. These people are not perfect. They're human just like us and dealt with challenges just like you and I do. And as we go through life, even while uh, working and doing anything that God has called us to do, we still have these relational challenges with one another. And so we, we need to be humble. We need to be gracious when dealing with one another because we're, we still have these fleshly things going on. We don't always say the right things, do the right things. And so we need to understand that maybe they're having a bad day. Instead of uh, getting upset with them and just casting them away, maybe we can be praying for them. Or instead of thinking, well, they don't do this for me, so I'm not going to do it for them. <laughs> maybe we should be uh, uh, throwing some extra grace on that, serving extra well, right, so that we can, can reconnect. We don't know what's going on in the life of that other person. So as we go through this, we, we need to be humble. We need to be gracious. And I love, this is my man Barnabas. I love Barnabas. He comes up. And by the way, I hope you have a Barnabas in your life. I hope you got somebody in your life that can, that can see uh, that, that when you're not having a great day or it can see somebody who comes in as a mediator, somebody that comes in as an encourager in your life. I hope you have a Barnabas in your life. And Barnabas steps in and, and he comes in and he, he, he's there to, to ride or die you know, with the, the, the people of God. And he, he's there to be the encourager. So he chose to travel with Mark while Paul chooses to travel with Silas as his travel buddy. Man, we got time after time Barnabas coming, taking people under his wing. He did this for Paul, if you remember, taking people under his wing and coaching them and encouraging them. Man, if you don't got a Barnabas in your life, you need to be praying for somebody. Or perhaps you already do and you don't realize it. You don't acknowledge it. But man, what a, what a great encouragement to have somebody like this to continue to go through with the people of God. One more thing I want you to take note of. God uses this conflict in a special way. Now, I don't, I don't want to spiritualize this, right? I mean, this is a wrong situation. This sharp disagreement that they had is not a model for how we should be as Christians, right? They should have, remember, he should, Paul should have been humble. He should have been gracious, Right to to think about and, and understand where Mark, John Mark was coming from, but regardless of how flawed the situation is, God uses it to accomplish His goal and His mission. So instead of just one missionary journey, now we have two. Huh? It's interesting how God works through this situation so that He can get the glory and that, that more people might be able to be reached, even though, again, this is a flawed circumstance, but God still works through that. This is not an excuse for the quarreling, uh, for it to go on, but it just shows how God uses imperfect and flawed people, flawed circumstances to continue to advance the gospel. Man, the God is so good. He's so great to be able to have this, this plan in place and be able to use it for his glory. God constantly works through all types of means and all types of scenarios. Man, and I praise him for that. Let's look at chapter 16 and verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was, belie who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystria and Iconium. 
Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on uh, their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So here we have Paul and Silas. They, they go on their journey and they pick up somebody else on the way. Timothy stands out to Paul as somebody who is strong in the faith and spiritually mature. This name should sound familiar. Hear about more, him, more of him and a letter that Paul writes to him later. So Paul has Timothy, as they, they go through this encounter, Paul has Timothy circumcised out of sensitivity to the Jewish audience. Now, if you remember just from last week, we, we kind of had this discussion and we talked about the dispute that the Jerusalem council had for uh, uh, that, that the believers did not have to be circumcised in order to follow Christ. They did not have to be, uh, follow the Jewish customs in order to prove that they were saved. So what's happening here? Well, we, again, we just talked about this, and, and this is, they're delivering this letter saying that in order to be saved doesn't mean you have to go through these litany of tests and hurdles to jump over. You don't have to do this. But here we have Paul going to say, Timothy, I, I'm going to need you to do this for the good of God. What's happening? Is he con- contradicting what we just saw? Why did Paul find this necessary? Later in Galatians, Paul uh, resisted uh, circumcising Titus. So, There's something going on here that we need to pay attention to. In this case, Timothy had a Jewish mother. He had a Greek father. And so under the rabbinic law, Timothy would be considered uh, Jewish because of that lineage. And so this is the difference that we're talking about. Earlier, we were talking about Gentiles, right? They, they, they weren't Jewish by any stretch of the imagination. They were outside of them. So we were like, hey, you don't have to become Jewish in order to be saved. In this case, Timothy would have been considered Jewish. But even being considered Jewish, it still wasn't necessary for Timothy to be saved. However, Paul knew that when Timothy would be talking to the Jews that it would constantly offend the Jews if he weren't circumcised. He knew that it would be a stumbling block for those people that he was reaching. And so in order to remove that stumbling block and he can be be delivering the gospel, Paul is thinking ahead like, okay, I know this is going to come up and I know what's going to happen. So in order to remove this barrier, this is what we're going to need to do in order to move forward. This, brothers and sisters, is a missionary strategy for Paul to remove these barriers and prevent them from not reaching people that need to be reached. As a sign of respect for the Jewish heritage and to maintain unity, Timothy goes through this this painful surgery And later we'll see, because of this compromise, uh, Timothy's Jew-Greek background, it it would pay off in dividends. That he goes through this this process so that he can reach the people and it will allow him to bridge the gap between these cultures. What a great example for us. Here we are, First Baptist Bolingbrook, a 54-year-old church, and we've always done things a certain way. 
But many things in Bolingbroke have changed, haven't they? Things have changed a lot in 54 years. There's different restaurants, there's different stores, different demographics completely. The, the makeup of Bolingbroke has changed significantly. But not just Bolingbroke, the world has changed. The world is vastly different in the past 50 years. Think about this. In 1967, when this church was founded, um, the, there were various uh, different types of things that, that were taking place. Some of the popular cars of the time, for that instance, one is the Ford uh, Fairlane or, or the Mercury Cougar, the, the Pontiac Le Mans. Uh, if, you're, if you're younger than 50 people, you probably say, what? What are, the, what are those names? <laughs> at, the, at the time, not only did telephones have a cord, but they had a rotary dial. How many people know what rotary is? Yeah, there's a few hands. A lot of hands didn't go up, though. You had to, you had to find you had to, You had to know the, num, the number you were dialing, and you had to put your finger in a hole and go around in a circle, put it in, around it. I mean, this is a totally different era that we're living in nowadays. And uh, so much has changed even in the last 10 years. If we hope to reach people with the gospel, it requires us to change or remove the barriers similar to what we see in the text this morning. You know, if, if, if we had these phones in, in, our, in our church and expected people to come in to use a rotary phone, I, I saw this, something like this on, on, on YouTube where some millennials were given a rotary phone and told them to call somebody. They were just looking like, what, what am I what am I supposed to do with this? What, why is this going in a circle? At least give me a push button to use. But we won't, be quiet, we won't be required to go through a painful surgery like Timothy did, but we will be required to lay aside some of the things that bring us comfort, some of the things that we've been used to for years and years, not only in our church, but just in our normal daily lives. We'll be required to lay those things to the side some of our preferences will be laid to the side in order to connect with the current of the next generation. If we want to see people come to the Lord and, and serve him in this local body, that's what it requires for us to lay aside our personal preferences. That means we set aside our preferences in music. We set aside our preference in pews. We set aside our preference in, in lighting our preference in programs. We need to be thinking about how is God going to uniquely use us to connect with the current and next generation? I mean, we talk about, you know, Gen Z and millennials. Now there's gen, Generation Alpha. And those folks are up to 11 years old today. How are we going to reach Generation Alpha? How are we going to ensure they have hope and, and be able to proclaim to them the good news of who Jesus Christ is? Since we're missionaries right here in Bolingbrook, we need to remove as many barriers as possible so that uh, we don't get in the way of sharing the gospel with our community. 
You see, Paul was willing to become all things to all people in order to reach them with the gospel. That's what he, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 9 and 22. To the weak, I became weak that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to lay aside your preferences so that you might be able to reach some? Are you willing to become weak for the weak so that you might be able to win the weak? You see, Paul understood how important it was to adapt to different audiences with a changing, without changing the gospel message. And hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we water down the gospel. And I'm saying that we don't stand on truth. I'm saying that, you know, the things, the barriers that we put in place our politics, our, our preferences in, in different things that I named earlier, music and so forth, right? Those things get in the way. People just turn off. They don't, they don't want to hear it. But the gospel must remain central. That We're not changing that. We're just changing how we go to and out and communicate those things. We should be willing to do the same thing. We wrongly think that we just need to make the culture like us. When American missionaries go on to different places in the world, they don't take the, the American culture with them and say, well, in order for you to be saved, now you got to act American. No, that's not what they do. And in fact, missionaries go through extensive training to learn about the, the culture that they'll be living in. Why? So they can adapt to the culture. They can go in and do the things that are culturally revel, revel, uh, re- relevant to them so that they don't infuse a barrier. So as long as adapting doesn't mean that we compromise so much that we sin, but but we should be willing to follow certain cultural customs so that our hearers can receive the gospel. We need to be careful that our cultural biases, our practices aren't a stumbling block for other people as we're trying to reach them with the gospel. Hopefully that makes sense. Look with me in verse 6. They went through the region of Figuria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Mysia, and then they went down to Trous. The vision appeared to Paul at night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to a place to preach the gospel to them. Now we see this missionary team. They're traveling north. And at some point they decided to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbade them from going. Now, to be honest with you, I don't know what this means. I, I don't know what this looked like when they were going to travel to Asia. I don't know how the Spirit forbade them for, for going. We're not told how this happened, if this was a supernatural occurrence or maybe it was a vision here that we're not told about or maybe there was something in a road they were physically obstructed from going through that path. We just know that they were blocked, that they were not able to go. And so... When, when I was growing up, people called this a closed door. You know, that, that door just closed on them going to Asia. 
God does something to make sure that we know and that we understand. His answer at that moment is no. Don't go any further. Don't, don't pass go. Don't collect $200. No. Don't go this far. And here we see that they're prevented from moving forward in, in whatever they're doing, and we see the same in our lives. The point here is that even though there's a closed door, they just kept moving. They, they had a goal. They had something that they knew that they needed to accomplish. So even though that door was closed, it didn't stop them from what they were set out to do. They kept their eyes on the prize, so to speak, and they went on to the next thing. Second Corinthians 4 and 8, it says, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. And this is exemplified here for us in the text. So we must continue to trust in the Lord as he leads us in our daily lives. As we go through and we're trying to discern what it is that he wants for us in our lives, we, we're going to come up on closed doors too, but that doesn't mean you stop. That doesn't mean you be complacent. It just means that's not the way, that's not the direction you ought to go, but you still have to be on mission. You still have a calling on your life that, that God is going to do something with you and through you. Another thing happened when they were about to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow him, them there either. And again, they kept moving. They kept moving until they understood that God was calling them to Macedonia. Brothers and sisters, this is a great, great lesson for us. We're not meant to sit around twiddling our thumbs, waiting on God to tell us what to do. Like I said, I don't know about you, but I haven't had, you know, messages fall out of the sky with a nice bow written around it to, to give me direction as the next step I was supposed to do. But it's very clear what we're supposed to do, and we just don't do it. It's very clear for us uh, through the pages of Scripture, our primary role, our primary goal is to make disciples. That's what you're supposed to do. How you do that, the, the ways and the means you do that might differ, but the goal is still the same. Make disciples. As we go and make disciples, God guides us in how we are to do that. He both restrains and prompts us along the way, and he either permits us or prevents us from going in various directions. But we should see here and even in our own lives that when God is doing this, God's guidance is rational. If we look here in verse 10, the text says they sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They took all this information and based on the factors and the information that they had, they were able to understandably put together the most logical conclusion. It can't go that way. It can't go that way. Then Paul gets this, this vision, oh, we're supposed to go that way. We're so busy looking for supernatural signs or some kind of special revelation that we totally miss what is obvious that's right in front of us. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to get a vision or you're going to see dreams or any of that stuff, but take the information that you've been given and put it to use. And sometimes we, we have all the information and we, we pretty much know what we should be doing, but we don't want to do it. So, like, got to be something else. I just talk about myself. I, mean, I tell you all the time, I never envisioned myself being up here as a pastor preaching. I spent the, the better part of my life running from this calling. Even though I knew in my head and people were telling me and speaking into this, 
I'm like, no, nah, I don't. I don't think so. And I kept running into closed doors, closed doors, cl- and until he kind of slapped me across the head and made made it really known, like, hey, you, you're not gonna run from me no more. Don't be boneheaded like me. Don't be stubborn like me. Listen to God's guidance. Read his word and see what he has to say to you. In order for us to know God's will, we have to first know God. That should be obvious. I mean, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. In order for us to know his will, we've got to know God. We've got to read his word. This is the primary way that God speaks to us. You want to hear God speak? Pick up his word. You want want to hear God speak out loud? Read his word out loud. In order for us to know God's will, we've got to know God's word. Psalm 19 and 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And Psalm 119 and 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? He does this by guarding it according to your word. Man, I mean, we have so much reinforcement here that we just need to be steeped in his scripture. God never contradicts himself. So he'll never ask you to do something that's contrary to scripture. He'll never ask you to sin. So if you say, well, I heard a thing from from the Lord and it's telling me to do this thing and that thing is a sin, you didn't hear from God. You you might be hearing some voices, but I I guarantee you it's not from God. It's telling you to go do something that is sinful. He'll never ask you to do something that Christ wouldn't do. How often time, and this was a big thing when I was growing up, what would Jesus do? As cliche as that is, that's something that we should really take heart of and be thinking about. If we're about to do something and we ask this ourselves a simple question and you got to, oh, I don't, no, nah, you probably shouldn't do that. Do you know Christ would do it? Or, or let me take it a, a little further. Uh, how would you feel if you're doing this thing, whatever that thing is, and Christ returned while you were doing that? Would he be happy with you? That shakes me to a core, like just based on fear alone. If Jesus were to come back right now, would he be pleased with what I'm doing, how I'm living my life? Or having said just this thing I just said, would God be pleased with that? What would happen? We need to immerse ourselves in the Bible so that we know which actions bring God glory. Joshua 1 and 8 says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Meditate on it day and night. So this is why I urge you to be reading through the Bible every day. We're reading through the whole Bible in a year. Even if you don't read the Bible in a year, uh, having a daily regimen of, of reading his word and being able to meditate it on a day and night, even if you just read a couple verses and you have that rolling through your head all day and all night, man, that, that would be so good for your soul. That would be so refreshing for you as you're trying to understand your next step in obedience. It, it might require doing some research. It, it might require 
talking it through with some other godly individuals. And then based on what you know about God and his character, and you, you know about the overarching themes of the Bible and God's plan, this will help you determine what the best decision is, is that can be made so you can glorify God. We put all these things together, and that, that's what helps us make these tough decisions in our lives. That's how we, we know and when God is speaking to us and directing us in uh, a certain way. We need to use wisdom. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will either agitate our conscience if we're making the wrong decisions or encourage us if we and give us peace if we're leaning in the right direction. But even if the Holy Spirit doesn't intervene in this way, even, even if there's not a sign that drops from heaven that tells you exactly what to do, we can still be content because we know that God is in control of it all. God is ultimately and totally in control. We often get ourselves in trouble because we think we're in control. And we want our will to be done. But even Jesus himself said, not my will, but your will be done. Be like Jesus. So we can see God's will be done through us. Another lesson that we learn from this text is God's guidance is unpredictable and, and it can be gradual. So even if you pray right now today, it doesn't mean all of a sudden, oh, I know, I know what to do. It might happen that way, but oftentimes it doesn't. God didn't drop his instructions to these missionaries all written out in any little bow either. Remember, it just it started, if we go back to 15 and 36, this, this is where it started, where Paul told Barnabas, hey, you know what we should do? I think we should go check on the church plants and see how they're doing. That's how this started. And once they started on their trip, the Lord began to expand their plans. Maybe they were supposed to go to Asia. No, not going to Asia. Well, let's try Bithynia. All right, well, let's go to Trous. What about Macedonia? Bing, 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 bing. That's what we're supposed to do. That's where we're supposed to go. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like you're just wrestling with something and you need to make this decision and all these things are happening and you're just trying to, Lord, I just want to know what, what you want me to do. Hopefully that's your question and again, and not just what do I want to do? How can I bring myself glory? What would be best for me? What would be best for my family? Hopefully we're going to the Lord. Lord, what is it that you want me to do? What are you trying to show me in this? How can I most glorify you through these areas? There's so many times where we know what we're supposed to do or do something and we keep getting roadblocks. Maybe you feel like you're not going anywhere. You're not accomplishing anything. Then finally something comes up and you're seeking God's guidance and you feel the sense of peace. All of a sudden the stress has subsided. and This is the will of God. This is God's handiwork happening in this moment. And it's when it comes to following God's guidance, we need to start by obeying what God has revealed in his word, and we need to seek godly counsel 
when we're not certain about what to do and we need to be praying and, and praying through all these things, thinking through the situation before we make a decision. I tell you what, you make a decision without going to the Lord in prayer, that is rife for destruction. Be careful not to get disturbed along the way. I mean, they could have given up. They're like, well, I, I'm supposed to go to Asia. Let's go, let's go back home. That didn't work. It's, I don't know. Let's go back home and then wait to, to find a sign. Like, no, but we still need to, there's all these churches we still need to talk to. We still have a goal. We still have a mission. For us, we can't be complacent. We need to continue to follow in what God has called us to do. And again, we see here in the text, and it's true for us in our lives, that God expands this for us. So even though we didn't think about it or dream of it, like I said, I never dreamed I'd be here, but God, he already knew. I just need to, to get on and get in alignment with what his plan was, and that's how it is for many of us. So don't get discouraged because some doors are going to open, some doors are going to close, but our goal is to be humble, humble, is to be faithful in wherever the Lord leads us. That's what I hope for us as individuals. That's what I hope for us as a local body, as a, as a church, that we would just continue to follow the, the Lord's guidance in leading us along the way. I don't know how he'll have us uh, uh, interact and connect with this in the next generation, but living life with an open hand is let Lord put in and take out whatever he sees fit is the best next course of action. As long as God is with us, we can rejoice even when we're in a season of wondering, again, knowing that God is in control. So I want to ask you today, what, where are you today in your life? Is there, is there confusion? Is there frustration? So some cloudiness as to what your next steps are? My question for you is, have you spent the time with him in prayer and reading of his word and talking with godly people, praying with godly people to, to, or in order to understand and discern what God has for you in your life? If you need help with that, that's why he put together this body of believers so that we have people to go to when we are in this midst of, of wondering and figuring out what's, what's happening and going on. That's what this body, this local body is for, to help you discern that and and if I do it for you now, hopefully you'll be there for me when I need it. That we lean on one another. If you've got questions today, uh, this is the time, this is the moment to ask. Help let us walk with you in your journey with Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for helping us to see and understand that you have not brought us this far to leave us that we know and trust that you have a, a good and sovereign plan for each of us in our lives, not for our own selves, but so that we might be able to bring you glory. That we would give you the reverence of which you rightly deserve, that we can go out and share the good news with others who need to hear it. Father, help us to see your handiwork in our own lives and give us the courage to stand on that and to be able to seek the next step of any and everything that we have in our lives. Help us not to be complacent. Help us to go out with, with boldness and live for you. Father, thank you so much for all the things that you have done and things that you would continue to do. 
So, in Jesus' name, we pray this. Amen.